ladies. Um, I have a question about weight gain during pregnancy. A quick Google search showed me that it's recommended to gain anywhere from 25 to 35 pounds. However, I am 29 weeks and I have already gained the 35 pounds. I was diagnosed with IGT or insufficient glandular tissue after the birth of my first and was wondering if you can talk about any experience you have with this regarding breastfeeding. The evidence is pretty clear that the routine use of Pitocin to prevent postpartum hemorrhage and women at low risk for postpartum hemorrhage is not effective. I feel for doulas because they go into this work ready to be loving and inspired and to have like this beautiful line of work. They're willing to get up in the middle of the night to have no idea when they're going back home. And what happens is they often end up witnessing assault and abuses only to feel guilty after the birth because she couldn't do more to help that mom. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do. But how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the August Q&A. We are back on this hot summer day. And Trisha, remember on Instagram when we asked women, unsupportive comments people have made to them in their pregnancy. We knew we would get a lot. We knew a lot of them would be the same rhetoric we hear, right? You'll be screaming for an epidural. Don't be a hero. There were lots of those, but we got, Oh yeah. We got some particularly unique ones, um, that I thought it would be fun for us to share. And I'm saving my, my absolute favorite one for last. Okay. Let's pull that up. Shall I begin? Yeah, sure. Okay. First one says, In quotations, you say that now because you don't know how bad it actually is. Just wait. You'll see. Nice. Loving. Very encouraging. Very supportive. Um, Okay. This way to plant the seed. This woman says after she had her home birth, someone someone said to her, what if something had gone wrong? What if? (laughs) Why are we having that conversation now? How about like congratulations on a beautiful birth. Your baby is darling. There are a lot that say, what if something goes wrong? Oh, here's a good one. Everyone gets an epidural. Yep. One woman said, one woman was told you would, you wouldn't get a feeling without pain relief. Oh my gosh. Okay. That that's said all the time to people like a feeling a setting a broken bone, having some other form of surgery, all of these things are our bodies aren't designed to go through those processes. Those are injuries. Those are ailments. <laughs> like birth is physiologically normal and our body is designed to manage and cope with it. Oh, here's one. You don't have a high enough. <laughs> Who would say this? You don't have a high enough pain tolerance. <laughs> That was probably from a, that was probably from a family member who would say that to you. And first of all, how can you comment? People on, say this all the time. How can you comment so, on someone else's pain tolerance because maybe because again they're thinking about injury. Maybe you know some people get freak out with a bee sting or a paper cut. It's not the same thing. This one says my L and D nurse, my L and D nurse mother in law. Oh dear, <laughs> says 
why would you put yourself through that pain is what I don't get. Here's one who heard, yeah, good luck with that in a snarky tone. Nice. This one says, what are you trying to prove? (laughs) Yeah, don't be a hero. What are you trying to prove? That's another. What are you trying to prove? Who would have a natural birth? Who would do that to prove anything? Like it's all ego. There's nothing else driving this, but ego is this implication. You're stupid for not wanting the drugs. Nice. Nice. You'll throw your whole birth plan out the window as soon as you feel your first contraction. You can't deliver a baby out of hospital. He's measuring quite large. You can't deliver a baby out of a hospital. Really? I wonder what we did before hospitals. Regarding my home birth, someone said, I'm so anxious for you. And I'm worried that you're not anxious at all. How about whichever way you go about it? You've got a 40% chance of having a C-section. Oh yeah. If I birth with you, I do. Nice. Like it's all out of everyone's hands. Oh, wow. How about this one? Once the baby arrived. Oh yeah, that's nothing. Your baby was small. Nice. Wow. Way to demean her. Why would you do that? An epidural doesn't even hurt the baby. Interesting. Oh, this is great. (laughs) I love this one. (laughs) A nurse burst into our room and yelled at my husband. Your wife is in pain. She needs an epidural. Oh, here's a charming one. It's like your bones are all breaking at once. Oh, nice. Wow. (laughs) Every bone in your body. Well, this one's just... Nature did not design this process to torture us because nature needs us to be alive and well to take care of our babies. Just please remember that, everyone. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This one kind of piggybacks off that stupidity. This one says... I was told that I needed to stay out of the sun to prevent giving my baby cancer. What? What? <laughs> That's exactly what? Okay. okay. Vitamin D from the sun, by the way, reduces like every cancer except certain forms of skin cancer. In- but I think she's talking about when she's pregnant. I know. I think so too. It's insane. It's insane. It's All right. This one says, are you from the 1800s? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. guess so. My baby would be dead if I did it at home like you. Nice. My wife, who's a veteran, couldn't handle labor and birth without meds. Trust me, you'll want them. You'll want them. Just spare yourself. Here's one. We'll see about that. Who are these people? Who are these unloving, unsupportive, arrogant people? And what gets me is it's no one's business. How, like, how do they opine on what someone else is going to do with their life? It's like, it's like someone gets engaged and you're like, oh, that's what you think. Right. Like, good luck with that. You're going to have a one in two chance of divorce. Because everybody's just projecting their own unhealed issues onto other people. So we can't take these things personally. We have to just let them go in one ear and out the other. Oh, here's one. You won't last five minutes. Unbelievable. From her mother. Better you than me. That's kind of funny. This one says, my OB for my first said, you know, you're going to tear, right? guess who didn't tear? And here's another, you will never have a natural birth because of your pelvis. Wow. Because of your small pelvis. Mm-hmm. All right. Here, now we, a lot of women wrote to us with their stories because they couldn't fit in the little question box. And we got lots of those. This was my favorite one. She wrote, oh my gosh, I told my mom, the woman, who, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Wait, it says, oh my gosh, I told my mom, the woman who birthed me that I was planning on an unmedicated physiologic birth. And she goes, you're going to want the medicine. It's the worst pain of your life. Sorry. <laughs> and I said, that is your experience, but I've been preparing for this and really trust my body. Her response was that, quote, 
I want you to record your births. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I want you to record your birth so I can watch you scream bloody murder. <laughs> Wait, I'm not done. Wait, I'm sorry. I can't get this out, guys. I want you to record your birth so I can watch you scream bloody murder and be in pain. Plus, you almost killed me. <laughs> and then the woman wrote, end quote, and the woman wrote in capitals to, to us. Like what? Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Isn't that unbelievable? I laughed until I had tears going down my face yesterday and I, I I just couldn't believe it. I thought it was hilarious. It's, I mean, it's horrible, but it's so off the deep end. And plus you almost killed me. What was that necessary? None of it was necessary. Please. I want you to record your birth. So you, so I can watch you scream, watch you, I can writhe in pain. So I can watch you scream bloody murder and be in pain. I'm what kind of mother I'm, I just. They must have a, a, a rather humorous relationship, I hope. <laughs> they would have to. All right. Wow. Okay. Questions. Shall we get into questions? Yeah. Let's begin. Let's. Ooh, that was that was really invigorating. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sarah from South Dakota. I am currently pregnant with my first baby. And I really appreciate your podcast. I've been listening to it and just thank you for everything you guys do. My question is about Pitocin after delivery to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. Nurse practitioner mentioned that that is something that they do. Um, she kind of said it in a kind of quick offhand way. And I, it just kind of took me by surprise because I'd never heard of that before. So, um, yeah, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that. And thanks so much for your time. Yeah, she just wants to know our thoughts on routine use of Pitocin postpartum to prevent hemorrhage, which is a little perfect timing because we did an entire Pitocin hour-long webinar or live stream event on Patreon, and this came up very much. We talked about the use of Pitocin before labor for induction, during labor for augmentation, and postpartum for hemorrhage. What do you want to say to it? The evidence is pretty clear that the routine use of Pitocin to prevent postpartum hemorrhage in women at low risk for postpartum hemorrhage is not effective. It's not helpful. So it shouldn't be done. Yet it is. Yeah. So it may be used appropriately if a woman is having a postpartum hemorrhage, yes, or possibly if she has high risk for postpartum hemorrhage, it may be prophylactically used. But routine use in low risk women is not reducing postpartum hemorrhage risk, not reducing the incidence of postpartum hemorrhage. Okay. Next. Hey ladies. I love your podcast. I've been listening my entire pregnancy with my second. I was diagnosed with IGT or insufficient glandular tissue after the birth of my first and was wondering if you can talk about any experience you have with this regarding breastfeeding. Much of what is addressed with breastfeeding often ignores this issue which seems to be no matter how much demand, supply doesn't increase due to the physical nature of the breast. I guess I'm wondering, is each pregnancy different? Are there specific steps to take to increase success with breastfeeding early on? I tried basically everything to increase my supply the first time around, and it was eventually preventing me from enjoying my baby. I gave up breastfeeding at eight weeks due to the stress of triple feeding, frustrating, feedi- frustrating feeds, and feeling inadequate for my baby. I do wonder if there was more I could have done proactively 
prior to birth and immediately following, as I was just feeding every two hours, unaware supply was an issue, and just in the dark in general the first several days, which I know are crucial for supply. I want to go into this postpartum with realistic expectations and appreciate any and all advice or expertise you have. Thanks so much. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code DOWNTOBIRTH at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. So there are so many factors that go into low milk supply that insufficient glandular tissue or IGT should not be the thing that we immediately 
jump to. That is a real thing, but it is not very common. Um, so what it means basically is that the breasts never fully developed and there's, there isn't enough glandular tissue in the breast to produce milk rapidly enough to have a full milk supply. So those uh, women who truly have cases of IGT, it's usually something that is diagnosed, um, or should be picked up on by your midwife or OBGYN in a prenatal exam, in a breast exam. There are some clinical features and anatomical um, identifiers in breasts that have insufficient glandular tissue. They look different than a normal breast. And those those women also don't generally experience the same breast changes in pregnancy, but that shouldn't be the first thing that we jump to. Like I said, there are so many factors that go into low milk supply. And she said right at the end of the question there that she wasn't really paying that much careful attention in the first few days. And the first 24 hours has so much influence on what happens when your milk comes in on the third or fourth day. And what happens on the third or fourth day has so much influence on where you land at two weeks. And if you don't get off to the right start, it is like playing catch up all the time. Um, Now, if it is really IGT, you still can breastfeed. And I wouldn't ever tell a woman to not plan to breastfeed. There is an herb called goat's rue that can be helpful in helping the tissue that is there uh, develop more. So I would use, I would use goat's rue in those cases. And then we would have, you know, an aggressive plan of trying to help her build her milk supply to whatever amount we could get it to. How do you spell that word? I-G-T. No, no, the the goat's root. Goat's root. Goat's root. Goats like a goat with an apostrophe S R U E. Goats rue. Rue is like sadness, isn't it? Oh, it's also a shrub. Shrub. Okay. Goats rue to rue the loss of opportunities. <laughs> Poor goats. Very sad stock of goats. Poor little woeful goats. <laughs> All right. It comes from the shrub. And I didn't know that shrub existed. So now I know. Hello, ladies. I um, don't understand why people, generally grandparents of children and babies, feel it's so necessary to give treats and like garbage treats to kids all the time. Um, why, why Why can't they give out, you know, crayons or stickers or time to me I feel like just spending time with grandkids and family members is way more important than treats right my in-laws this this guy that I have he's their eighth grandchild and I seem to be the only one that cares about what goes into his mouth yeah so that's a big one thanks for listening Junk food from the grandparents. This is so common. This comes up in my postpartum group a lot. Yeah. It's just like the norm. It comes up in all forms. It comes up with junk food. It comes up with, um, you know, the really cheap gifts, like the, the junky things that entertain them for three minutes and never get in life. And they're made of plastic and they clutter the house and you feel guilty getting rid of them. And, and then I even have a mom in my group who's been very sensitive to the books that her mother-in-law has been giving her baby and they're, they're lovely, beautiful books, but they have some concepts in there that really upsets the mother, like, um, a kid being 
mean to another kid or jealous of another kid. And this client of mine is like, my child is one and a half. She doesn't have a concept. So she's furious about it. I try, all right, the food thing, I definitely understand. I understand all of it. I would be upset about all three of those things personally. I also think that it's not hard for me to imagine being that grandparent and trying to make your daughter-in-law happy, I would imagine, and really just wanting your grandchildren to love you and to miss you when they don't see you and having a worry that they're going to forget about you when you're not visiting and just feeling like you would do anything to have these kids love you and feel connected to you. I think letting them build that relationship is precious. So you just have to tell them, like, could you please bring fruit instead? Could you please? I remember when my son was like three saying, you know what? We don't want any more toys in the house. Can you like bring him to a little local theater? They have little kids plays and stuff and such. Can you do activities with him? Bring him to a local museum or something. Spend the day with him. So you just have to get creative. You have to be willing to ask, but keep in mind that that grandparent is sensitive. They don't want you to not like them. They don't want the child to not bond with them. Just understand that's where they're coming from. I don't think they mean to disrespect you. If they do mean to disrespect you, then you need to have a much firmer conversation with them if they're doing this out of passive aggression. Hopefully that's not the case. Most likely not. But, you know, junk food is just, it's the easy thing. It's the thing that you know the kid is never going to be disappointed about. They're always going to be thrilled about it. So it's it's a easy little ticket to win a little extra affection. But there are better ways. Like she said, you know, spending time is the most valuable. That is ultimately what's going to build the deepest lasting bond. The junk food is just the quick fix. Totally. Yeah. You want to see their face light up, but truly, if you just sit on the couch and talk to them or read to them, that's really where the bond is. Good luck with that one. It's very, very stressful. And I'm sure it builds a ton of resentment and um, you're not alone. This is happening in most households. So the next question is not going to come through on audio because the mother left us a message and asked for anonymity, even as far as her voice. She asked us to read her question, but I don't think there's any need. Um, We just listened to it. She's in a lot of distress, no doubt. She said that she and her husband both used to drink a lot and she gave it up and her husband still drinks. And she said, smokes a lot of marijuana. She's struggling. She said they fight about it all the time. She said it's a nightly practice for him. She's pregnant with her second child. She has a four-year-old and pregnant with the second child. And she said she wanted to know um, what she can do. And she wanted to know if we think she's being inflexible. It's a serious situation. It's easy for people to say, it's just a drink. It's just that I think it's a very serious issue personally. Well, I think the thing is that, you know, she's, she described them both as kind of having a party lifestyle before they got together young, they had a little bit of a party lifestyle. She went through this transformation in becoming a mother and taking care of her children and giving up that party lifestyle, giving up alcohol. And her husband has continued on the same path, although he has maybe reined it in a little bit. He's still kind of in that place. And I think, I think when people eliminate those things from their life and they really get sober from whatever addiction it is that they have, drugs, alcohol, whatever else people get addicted to, and then you see the person you love still addicted and still how it influences their life, your perspective is just so clean and clear and what they're doing just looks so massively wrong. And it really, it really does divide people because 
he's living in a completely different place than she is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there are many problems with addiction, but one of them that's the most apparent is that when someone has an addiction, even if it's not a chemical addiction, but any kind of addiction or daily practice like that, that they're prioritizing, it's like being in any kind of three-way relationship. You're with a partner who has to manage their habit. And she is clearly in a lot of pain. She could barely speak in a normal voice, leaving the message. Um, my thoughts are that she should find a therapist who specializes in addiction. Even something like, like an Al-Anon group, like those that, you know, AA and Al-Anon, those are incredible organizations that totally. do really help people. And I think if she went to something like an Al-Anon meeting and she were surrounded by people who are going through exactly the thing that she's going through, seeing the new perspective, her feelings would be so validated and she would be able to come back to the relationship with so much more conviction in her, in her, in her truth, which is mm -hmm. like, I don't want this lifestyle. Right. I don't like it. I'm not living that lifestyle. It's, it's not good for me. It's not good for the kids. It's, she knows it's not good for him. Of course he can't see that. Right. Um, because he's in it. Right. But that will give her the strength and the clarity to have those conversations and help her to realize that she's not being, um, what did she describe herself as over, um, inflexible, inflexible. Said. Yeah. Right. And I, and I, if he's using language like that, then he's really pretty far into it. You know, at the most basic level, they're completely out of rapport with each other. They're out of rapport. They're not living the same life. They're not living the same lifestyle. So in the best case scenario, all addictions aside, habits aside, money aside, they're not able to live the same lifestyle, share the same lifestyle. They're out of rapport. She's probably thinking about it morning, noon, and night. So hopefully she will continue on and get some, some kind of support. Um, it probably is going to come down to him either completely giving it up. She made something, some comment about like a happy medium. There is not a happy medium with things like this. There just isn't. This is not a casual drinker we're talking about. I think it's going to come down to him either giving it all up or probably um, being at risk of losing his wife and kids. Because what else can happen? <laughs> or his wife becomes depressed. I mean, people can, people, it's so easy with alcohol to just sort of brush it off and say, everybody drinks, like everybody drinks. Most people drink, right? But if, if you're the person who's not drinking and you're looking at the person who is drinking and you're saying, this is not working for me, then you have to do something. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com. 
and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms. Do you want to know one of our all time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. Hi, I am a birth doula, and I recently witnessed um, an OB applying very forceful fundal pressure with a client of mine who was in her pushing stage of labor. Basically, they were trying to get baby lower. Not only was the doctor pushing down on her uterus with what really felt like excessive force, but she, he was also encouraging her partner to apply a strong amount of pressure onto her stomach, onto her uterus, pressing down as she was pushing. And I have to say, it felt very wrong to be witnessing it. I could tell it was obviously very painful for her. The nurse had spoken up at one point and said to the partner, please don't press down on her stomach. And the doctor had kind of cut her off and you know, encouraged him to keep doing it. And I just wondered, like, fundal pressure in labor, is this a thing? Like, are they still doing this? Has this been debunked? It was a first for me. Well, it felt wrong because it is wrong. Yeah. It's risky. I feel for doulas because they go into this work ready to be loving and inspired and to have like this beautiful line of work. They're willing to get up in the middle of the night to have no idea when they're going back home. And what happens is they often end up witnessing assault and abuses, and they're really powerless. A lot of times women hire a doula because they are, in their mind, hiring a birth advocate, but legally, the doula really can't speak for you. They don't have your power of attorney. So they're often just witness to things that shouldn't be happening. And I just think it's a, you know, it's, it's such an unfortunate thing for a doula to experience when she went into this with her heart in the right place, only to feel guilty after the birth because she couldn't do more to help that mom. It's a terrible situation. Um, yeah, anything forceful. I wonder how the mother was responding. Did she mention that in the question? Yeah, she said the mother was uncomfortable and the husband didn't like it. The mother was physically uncomfortable. The husband knew something was wrong. Even he felt powerless. And think about it. Think about what that perceived authority figure does to all these people in the room who had power, the husband, the wife, another professional. You know? Yeah. I mean, what what is, that's very old school. It's like, why? Why are we doing that to her and her baby? What is that really helping? The baby has to find its way. It's like it has to make those little subtle manipulations of movement as it winds through the pelvis. And if you're pushing down, how can it do that? Just get her upright. Just get her off her back. <laughs> you won't have to worry about that. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. You'd think it wouldn't have to be said. Right. Hi, I'm a Patreon member and I have a question about breastfeeding. So my little guy is about nine weeks old and a few weeks ago I realized that I had a really 
strong, um, fast letdown. And that was part of the reason he was struggling to feed a little bit. He was kind of gagging at the breast or pulling off or doing really short feed because he was just getting too much milk too fast. So a couple of weeks ago, I started um, pumping off for a few minutes before I fed him just so that that letdown wasn't so fast. And that has helped significantly with our feeds. However, my pediatrician told me that um, because the milk is higher in carbohydrate and lower in fat and protein, if I'm using only that pumped milk for bottle feeds once a day, that um, that could be part of the reason that, that sometimes he doesn't take the bottle well, that he can be like fussy and get gassy after taking a bottle because of the high carbohydrate of that four milk. So I'm just curious if that's true. Like, is that true? Um, and is that, and if I'm, um, you know, wanting to pump milk to, you know, use for bottles and I go back to work here in a month or two, um, does it, should I use that four milk that I pumped off? Cause I actually have quite a bit of a supply in my freezer from that. Or do I need to be doing like a full pump session? So I'm getting the, the full, um, you know, four milk and high milk both, um, in order to use that for the bottle. Um, thank you. So here we have another example of a pediatrician giving breastfeeding advice, which actually is somewhat true, but not the whole picture. Again, it's like a segment of the story. Yes. If you're giving your body, your baby straight for milk, the for milk or the, the watery milk is higher in breast milk sugars. And therefore sometimes babies will be gassy if they have more for milk and not enough fat because they can actually run out of the enzyme to break down all the lactose sugars. Um, and then they can't digest it as well. So we are, you know, our babies are meant to get the full spectrum of milk at each feeding. We really can overthink this though. And I really try to encourage moms to not overthink this, but the bigger problem here is that she's pumping off the four milk. So if she continues to pump off the four milk between every time before, every time she feeds, she's going to continue to create this problem of overproducing formal. What needs to happen is that we have to get the, the uh, milk supply in balance with the baby's needs so that she's not overproducing that formal. So she started pumping the formal because her baby was struggling to cope with flow because maybe she has a strong letdown or maybe she was overproducing, but she's kind of just contributing to the problem by pumping off the formal. So in the short term, it solves the problem for that particular feed, but in the long term, it's just perpetuating the problem. And what she really needs to do is slow down her milk production so that her baby can just feed at the breast and get through kind of a full normal feeding without having to pump off four milk. There's been a lot of conflicting information about four milk in, in the past 10 or 15 years, hasn't there? Yes, because there's way too much focus on it being separate separate milk, like four milk, then middle milk, then hind milk. There's right. fat in all parts of milk. There's fat in the four milk. So we're, we're just, we're breaking it down. It's not, it doesn't really work like that, but the fuller the breast is, yes, the more watery four milk comes out first. That, I mean, that is true. You can see that. You can see that when you pump, you can see that when you feed, but, um, that does not mean that there's not fat in all parts of the milk. When I was a breastfeeding mother, I remember reading the first moments of breastfeeding is to hydrate your baby and then the remaining is to feed the baby. Right. That's so accurate. Imagine if we went four or five hours without eating and in a baby going two hours is more like our four or five hours. And then somebody just like put a piece of cheesecake in front of you and like tried to get you to just eat cheesecake. You'd be like, blah. Like, give me some water. I need a glass of water before I start eating this heavy, creamy food. 
So yes, the hydration comes first. It's designed perfectly. All right. Well, that concludes the regular version of the August Q&A. If you are a Patreon member or if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, you will get the extended questions coming up next. If not, we are on to quickies. Quickie time. We love quickies. All right. Okay. Here we go. Quickie one. If I had very painful menses, menstrual cramps, does that equate to very bad contractions? Is that a wives' tale? Or is that just someone who's more hormonal? And then they may and then it and then it's true? What what have you heard about this? Well, anecdotally, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of the opposite. I think women who have really strong period cramps have slightly easier labors. Totally just my personal opinion. Your theory. My observation. So I guess the answer to her question is no, you don't believe that that is true. You're going even further to say you think that the opposite, the opposite is, true. is true. Which means everyone, we have no idea. <laughs> probably none of it is true. And there's probably no rhyme. There's, to there's any just of it. way too many. There's way too many variables yeah. in, in the picture. But I have just in observed that a little bit. It's good. We want, we want her to attach her mind to your theory rather than the one that was planted in her head, because what she believes she's going to experience is going to actually affect her experience to some extent. We do know that. All right. What's next. Do you have any tips to forgive yourself after the vitamin K shot was given when you were too tired to fight anymore? Oh, forgive yourself for things you don't know. I mean, we have to forgive ourselves in life for so many things that we didn't know when we didn't know. And then we learn and we do better the next time. Unfortunately, it is a part of parenting. You're going to feel guilty. You're just going to feel, it's just going to be a, somewhat of a lifestyle. I don't think that goes away. I, what I think is very helpful when you have a regret like this, because we have women who have taken, let's say the gestational di- diabetes drink, and then they learn later they had other options and they feel very guilty that they had that drink. Even we, we don't, want them to feel guilty or think they should feel guilty, but they feel guilty. And what I like to do is say, well, because I had that experience or because I gave the baby vitamin K and I now regret it, that's the assumption here. Now I'm going to do something for my baby's health to more than make up for it. You know, whether you go to a naturopathic doctor and you just like learn some things and feed them, especially healthy things, just visualize making them better off because you regretted that. And that can really help the guilt to go away because when you feel really good about taking care of their health and making new decisions, specifically because you're on the quest for doing some healthy new things, you can the the guilt kind of goes away. It's like, oh, that in a way that was a blessing in disguise because then I learned about this or I was determined to do that. Good advice. Next. What do you do while waiting for the placenta to come out when it takes three or four hours? You breastfeed and you stay skin to skin with your baby. Next. Stay focused. Um, if you had a small for gestational age baby, is there an increased risk of that happening again in future pregnancies? I wouldn't call Slightly. it a risk. Is it a risk? Is there an increased risk to have an SGA baby? I mean, is it a risk or is it just a likelihood? Is it really a risk? Is SGA a risk? Some babies are just small. Yes. 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 I mean, maybe she's maybe she's talking about IUGR. I, d- I don't think she would get those two confused. Cause if someone had IUGR, they would know exactly that it's intrauterine growth restriction and SGA is small for gestational age, which 
I, I, my understanding is it is a variation of normal. It's just small as some babies are big. It's small for gestational age. Yeah. That's that's what, what but that's all it is. It's not linked to. So you're, you're right. Risk is probably not the right word, but is there a more, is there a higher chance of it happening again in future pregnancies? Probably, probably yes. It's probably genetic. Yes. What is the likelihood that my provider accidentally broke my water? Oh, I I hate to make anyone feel bad about this, but I, in being honest, I absolutely, absolutely believe this has happens to women. I've had it happen to a couple of my clients where there's not going to ever be evidence of it, but it, there's such, but it really seems to have been the case where they're like, oh, let's just see how dilated you are. And then as the hand is coming out, all the membranes rupture. And in each case where that I'm thinking of, the providers were like, oh, that's a total coincidence. They really were trying to disrupt the process in some way. I think, I guess, what does your intuition tell you? Cause we don't know. There's no way to know. It can happen by accident too. I just don't think it's ethical yeah. for them to deny it, whether it was by accident or intentional. I don't think it's ethical for them to deny it. Right. And they can't do that without your consent. This is why one intervention leads to another. This is why vaginal exams are a bigger deal than we are led to believe because they can be tied to this other stuff. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Do I need to train? Do I need to train, do special breathing training before birth or do I just do what feels natural? Do what feels natural, but know that the longer and slower and deeper you breathe, the more oxygenated your blood, the less likely your baby is to experience fetal distress and the less likely you are to stop secreting oxytocin and switch over to adrenaline. It's kind of like going to a yoga class. You don't have to do any kind of training, but the basic thing you're going to learn in yoga is just learn to calm and deepen your breath enough. That's it. That's the takeaway. You're going to do great. You don't need any special training. First trimester exercise. How high can my heart rate go? One doctor says 110 and another says 120. Oh my gosh. We're splitting hairs. (laughs) I mean, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, your fitness, you don't have to check with anyone about your heart rate. Yeah. Don't go to 240. Okay. Right. Just, (laughs) but please do not worry about a little bit of exercise. Listen to your body. What do they know about that? As if, I mean, come on. Like the doctors have research on that. (laughs) This article says 110. And after that, what happens exactly? One. And what, what did we learn about research today anyway? Yeah, totally. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Hint, hint at an upcoming episode, people. Okay. Does shoulder dystocia happen in free birth? It absolutely can. It can, yes. Yeah, it can happen. Of course, it can, it can. happen in any birth. Next, can can being pregnant with boys make you more fight versus flight? I was never like this with my daughter. No, I don't even know what she means. <laughs> I I th- more more adrenaline. More. I don't know. Uh, she must think yeah. it's like all the testosterone she thinks she's carrying around now, or something. I don't think that would even have that. I I think if she were creating a theory, it would be around being more aggressive or argumentative, wouldn't it? More belligerent. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I can tell you when I was in my first two pregnancies, I felt so completely different that I was absolutely sure that I was having a boy the second time around because I felt nothing like I did with my first pregnancy and I had another girl. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think there's a whole lot to that. I don't think so. How are y'all's teeth so white? Someone on Instagram said that. Yeah. They're just normal human teeth. I don't, they're not bleached. Nor, nor am I. I don't know. 
Maybe maybe it was just a good uh, light hitting our smile. I, I think so. I think it's lighting. We both had pretty white teeth now that I think of it. Okay. Thank you. Let's just say thank you. What for if that. she didn't mean it as a compliment? <laughs> <laughs>